You're listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. On this edition, another in our Essential Workers series on how restaurant workers are being devastated by the latest pandemic lockdown. For the restaurant industry, honestly, we need a bailout. I, I have to say it, it there, I know there's the Restaurants Act that's uh, working really hard to make that happen. And I know there's a ton of support um, at the national level and at the local level for that. But we need this to actually be taken seriously. Like our industry is rapidly, rapidly deteriorating. The restaurants are just closing left and right. I get I get a digest from, from every restaurant that's closed in San Francisco and Oakland and Berkeley. And it's just heartbreaking and other industries have gotten bailed out other industries that make more money than the restaurant industry or can bounce back faster than the restaurant industry this is civic civic is underwritten in part by the san francisco foundation which has been acting as a catalyst for change to build strong communities foster civic leadership and promote philanthropy in the san francisco bay area since 1948 more at sff O-R-G. I'm Mel Baker filling in for Laura Wenis, who is on assignment. The latest shutdown of both indoor and outdoor dining to try and flatten the curve during the latest surge in the pandemic has had a devastating effect on restaurant workers and independent owners in San Francisco and the greater Bay Area. As part of our Essential Workers series, we wanted to learn more about how restaurant workers are dealing with this latest crisis. I'm speaking with Maria Moreno with Restaurant Opportunity Center United of the Bay, which provides training, education, support, and helps organize people in the restaurant industry. How big a crisis are we looking at for food service workers right now in the Bay Area? I've been communicating with restaurant workers since the beginning of the pandemic, and we have been, especially undocumented workers, we've tried to pivot, you know, all the money that we're receiving from like donations and as many uh, resources available to us to undocumented workers first and then to the rest of workers who have access to, to benefits. And we're still having phone calls with undocumented workers who have not gotten their jobs back who are not getting their jobs back because, you know, we've gone into a second shutdown right now. And some of the workers are saying, you know, I haven't paid my rent in a few months. Some of them, you know, have had to move into, have already been evicted from their homes because they've, because, you know, their landlords haven't been either able to, you know, allow them to stay without paying rent or just, um, you know, they've just made the decision that they need to put somebody else into that that unit that can pay the rent. And that's completely understandable. But they, they're living in like their their friends like couches. They're living in their family members like uh, living rooms or like sharing a room with five other people. And just the effects have been so devastating. Like people, you know, that we, we gave aid two months ago have... Uh, uh, contacted us once, two times, three times asking, you know, will there be another round of aid? And it's so heartbreaking to just have to say no to them. You know, the only thing that we can come up with, you know, uh, on the spot is, you know, there, there's this food pantry that's giving out food. There's this other, you know, community initiative where you can get a free meal today. And, you know, just not having that, like, ability to you you pivot them to actual money right now it has been has been extremely extremely just uh disheartening for us and um has i mean so many of the people in the industry are 
out of work right now, both undocumented and documented. And it, they're just, I feel like they're just left behind right now. And we're talking like half of the industry or more. And for the Latinx community, this is even worse because the they've in every Bay Area county, the Latinx uh, community has been more severely impacted by the pandemic than any other community, far out of proportion to their rate of the population. And that's got to be made worse by uh, food insecurity, by housing insecurity, by having to live in crowded living spaces, by having to work always in the public when you can get work. That's got to be a real challenge for your your folks that you're helping work, work with. Absolutely. And we've also heard of people that even though they're at the brink of, you know, bankruptcy, they have children at home and they have been offered their jobs back. And they're like, well, I have to make the decision. Will I endanger the lives of my family members, which could be, you know, some people live with like their grandparents, with their parents who are elderly, um, with children. And they have to make the decision of sometimes not taking the job because they don't want to be in a position where they're going to endanger the lives of the people that they love and, and the people that they're taking care of. So there's, you know, there's that option. And then there's the option to go back into work and still not be making the wages that they were making pre-pandemic because, you know, your shifts are cut in half. Um, Some people are being called, you know, like once a week versus having, you know, a full-time job or like a more solid part-time job or having two jobs and they're only called back for one of them. It's, it's been extremely difficult. And I think, you know, the, the fact that so many of the materials that are out are not translated in different languages. Like we need to, uh, materials translated in indigenous languages, in Spanish, um, in Vietnamese, in Chinese, to be able to, you know, take care, uh, to, to be able to ensure that workers, not just in our industry, but in all industries, um, are understanding how to best take care of themselves. And I think that you're seeing the effects of not having the access to those materials in all the languages needed and not having enough boots on the ground to be um, training and explaining and kind of like demystifying the, the information out there of how to take care of yourself uh, during this pandemic in all these languages at the, at the pace and um, in like meeting people where they're at um, when it comes to, you know, this immigrant populations being rocked by, by the pandemic. So let's talk further about how the uh, state and local governments have been able to do this. There had been some funding from the state. There had been some funding here uh, in both uh, in San Francisco and I believe Sonoma County to try to provide some support for undocumented folks. But, I, but it was a very small pool of money and I think it's all exhausted now. How have they been How have local and state governments been doing around this? Yeah, so I know um, one of the organizations that we work with in Oakland received some of that money and we were able to disperse like we're talking like thousands, like hundreds of thousands of dollars to people specifically in the city of Oakland through that fund. But this is a one time $500 payment in what is now going on nine months of a pandemic. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, the, the feeling that I get when I pick up the phone and I talk to folks and they're like, you know, I'm still unemployed after eight, nine months. Um, and I'm giving you, you know, of course I'm, I'm, 
like so like I feel so honored to be able to give some money to them at all. But five hundred dollars is just such a minuscule amount of money for somebody who hasn't gotten any work in eight eight nine months. So um, it, I think it has been very successful that uh, you know the the government has connected with local organizations that ha- have a wide reach. I think um, us volunteers for these funds and for these uh, phone banking. Um, calls to to reach the workers has been extremely successful um but it's just just not been enough the aid is just so so low compared to the need and we we've come to like you know the table and being like should we give a second round of aid to the same people you know but there are still people who haven't gotten that aid so it's it's definitely a uh, a conundrum that it's not great to be in and it just is a testament to the aid even though I think it was dispersed to um, the right partners in the community it just wasn't enough yeah it was just a, a pittance compared to what the federal government can do and and the state and local governments are kind of strapped in the resources they have which they have to meet a budget whereas the federal government can do deficit spending to kind of prop this up and and yet there's absolutely uh, no policies to help undocumented people. If anything, it's considered a feature to try to make it more miserable for undocumented folks. Some restaurants have been defying orders to do shut down outdoor dining just recently in Danville, for example. Uh, That must be putting workers in a real bind because obviously they need to work, but we know right at this moment, the virus is more uh, in the community than it has ever been. There are more people infected, uh, whether they know it or not right now. So it's got to be an even more challenging moment for people that need to work, uh, that can't stay wherever they're, they're living and avoid infection. Yeah, I mean, we've been we've seen that in in the Bay Area, too. We've seen, you know, restaurant um, spaces that have. Um, regardless, they're not necessarily defined the order, but they're not following strict guidelines uh, and COVID protocols uh, for their workers. And we've seen just, you know, really just um, horrible consequences about not having that either training for your workers about the protocol that you have or not having a protocol at all. But at the same time, it's like, you know, such a catch 22 because you have, you know, the workers who are begging to work in these spaces and then the workers who are being exposed to COVID and perhaps not being told by their bosses or not giving enough, you know, like aid to, to handle, you know, going to get a test or like not giving a resource to, um, to be able to take care of themselves during that moment. Um, that like, you know, it's like a life or death moment for some people. Um, so it's, it's definitely a catch 22, just like having to, you know, seeing the workers that, want to have a job and then seeing the workers who are risking their lives because um, the protocols um, are not in place to take care of them in their workplaces or their workplaces, you know, are taking a chance, um, you know, opening up without the right, um, the right protections for them. So this is the usual exploitation of undocumented folks, uh, that we normally see, but put on steroids because they're, they're under even more stress now that they have to work whenever they can. And the employers can, or can kind of decide that it doesn't pencil out for them, or they just don't want to be bothered to, to 
do the right things and provide PPE and make sure everything's socially distanced and make sure everybody's properly trained and make sure customers are following orders, uh, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, I will say that um, some employers are doing the most that they can. And, uh, you know, it's hard to, to manage not just like, you know, your entire staff with like this extra protocol, but you also have customers who you have to make sure are doing the right thing, which takes a lot more capacity, which, you know, can escalate to, to fights between customers. It can escalate to a space that doesn't feel like a hospitality space or you're making everybody feel welcome, which is like such a, a difficult space for, for restaurant and like hospitality entities to be in, you know, where you're like asking somebody to wear a mask and they're not wearing a mask. And then like, you, you need to make the decision. Do I put my worker at risk in this situation? Or do I kick this person out and lose a customer when like, when a precarious situation already so um i think the the bottom line is that like this um the risk is there um obviously it's exacerbated if you don't have a protocol but it's there nonetheless and there's just not enough aid for the employers or the workers to to um you know, have, uh, do this as safely as possible, you know, maintain your restaurant close when you need to and, uh, send your workers home when you need to, because there isn't a safety net. And at, at the, these cases, you know, you mentioned undocumented workers, but these cases and these issues are coming up for people who are not undocumented to have had like a, a plethora of, of, of different types of workers from all walks of life, from all statuses and races come to me, tell me this is what's coming up in my workplace. And some are ready to, you know, kind of like confront their employers and some are so terrified or have already experienced retaliation for raising their voices. And it's it's really difficult because I also, you know, I understand that it's it's not an easy task to just pivot to to try to protect your whole staff and keep a business afloat and and do all the things that you need to do to keep yourself and, and your workers protected. So it's definitely, uh, I feel for both sides, but I'm, I'm with my employees here through and through and, and it's, everyone is just being affected in such a, such a deep way. It, it's, it's hard to address everything that's coming up for workers. We'll continue our discussion with Maria Moreno with Restaurant Opportunity Center United of the Bay in just a moment. You're listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. You're listening to KSFP LP, San Francisco 102.5 FM. The San Francisco Public Press is trying to raise $40,000 by the end of this year so we can continue producing independent local news online, on the air, and in print. You can find out more at ksfp.fm donate. Thanks to the generosity of the foundations supporting this year's news match, donations we receive through December will be matched dollar for dollar. For more than a decade, public press journalists have tackled investigative reporting on government corruption, the housing and homelessness crises, climate change, and other important issues. You can become a member today and double your impact during Newsmatch by going to ksfp.fm donate. Thank you. Now back to our discussion with Maria Moreno, with the Restaurant Opportunity Center of the Bay. And let's talk a little bit about those who are documented or, or uh, you know, have green cards or are citizens. Um, 
they may be eligible for these enhanced unemployment benefits, but those benefits can also run, well, they also run out. And then you have to have a period of work to reinitialize them. And if there's not been any work, you can't do that. Plus, uh, something you've been very involved with is that so much of uh, restaurant workers' uh, income is based on tips. So that makes it even more problematic to prove a reasonable amount of income to gain a decent unemployment benefit, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this has been something that Rock has been speaking about since its inception as an organization, as it's a really essential part of our advocacy, us saying that, like, you know, um, I understand our dependence on tips, but there needs to be a system in which the tips are taken into consideration, you know, when other types of benefits are are being sought out by, by our workers. Definitely unemployment is, has highlighted, you know, the imperfect nature of, of this type of income for workers. But also, you know, when it comes to buying a home, when it comes to buying a car, when it comes to like establishing credit, like it's hard to, you know, it's a whole process, sometimes costly when it comes, when you think about taxes and like how you have to do that, you know, for as, as an employee, um, to, to make sure that, you know, on paper, you're making enough money to, to make, um, to, to create a life for yourself. Um, and in this precarious situation of the pandemic, to be able to access the benefits based on the income that you actually made. Um, I think, you know, we're getting closer to to doing better advocacy with the EDD, but I think that this is definitely not on on the top list because we're just getting through to, you know, to the EDD, like actually having access, like language access that's, that's meaningful. Um, so... I, I just I hope that in the future, in the near future, we can we can get more um, access to just talking directly to them about how we can set up a system both for gig workers, because there are gig workers in the restaurant industry and for, you know, uh, declaring the tips as income so people can access like some somewhere close to what they were making um, before the pandemic or whatever situation comes up in life that, you know, um, pivots you to not having employment and needing uh, benefits. Well, and so so much of the way people have been interfacing with the restaurant industry now is delivery. So it's like DoorDash or Grubhub. The drivers for that are getting modest tips, but those tips are not, I, I guess, would be separate from... Normally, when you get tip somebody in a restaurant, some of that gets shared around with other workers in the restaurant. So that's an that's kind of a broken off thing. Plus, we have the passage of Prop Twenty Two, which is, you know, said that we can't make those workers into anything other. They, they will remain gig workers forever. These are all going to be really bad challenges now and bad challenges going forward. Absolutely. I mean, Prop Twenty Two, the passing of Prop Twenty Two was definitely a devastating blow to to the labor movement, honestly, because it's just sending out the message that. We don't need to um, strengthen like the fabric of of labor for our workers. Instead, we are taking it apart and making it okay for workers to be seen as just like the most expendable possible, the most expendable like um, structure that there's a most expendable structure for them to be part of to to have access to wages that are that they love to be desired. And like, I know that, you know, there are gig workers who can make sustainable wages, and there are gig workers who only work 
this is only their side hustle and that's completely understandable but there's also so many workers who completely depend on these wages and it's just um it's not enough and like the fact that we're not setting a pathway for them to have more benefits when we have seen the effect of workers not having enough benefits in the pandemic is just ridiculous it's it really really breaks my heart and it's just such a big hurdle for the labor movement and for our workers to have to jump ju- jump through. Well, and there have been efforts to try to get some sort of portable system that you could move from one gig job to another, but everything could be paid in. But as I understand it, the, uh, the industries did not want to pay the amount that would be needed to make that viable, which is what prompted AB5 to go all the way to employer status. So they're kind of stuck in this middle ground where they're offering these kind of extremely limited uh, benefits that might help with healthcare and such, but but it's nowhere near enough to have some sort of system that would be portable so that people could have multiple gig jobs or different types of gig jobs or could carry that benefit with them as they move around. Yeah, it makes me wonder, you know, if like the next hard pivoting is just, you know, in order for you to ever work for a gig company, you have to go through a union, kind of like a similar model as like uh, the writers and like the the production workers in, in Hollywood work, you know, like they all go through a union and the union gets them, you know, like a set um, of benefits um, that and a set of like secure, like kind of like a safety net, you know, for them to operate within that feels a little bit more stable and like um, hits on those really essential aspects that um, other um, workers can access, you know, like he- healthcare is definitely one of them, but even just like unemployment, that other benefits that I feel like can be really hard to access for gig work- workers. I'll jump right into that. I am actually a member of SAG-AFTRA because of my work in the broadcasting industry for many, many years. And that is exactly how it works. Uh, I could work in several different radio shops and would pay into a health plan and into a pension plan. And uh, the, it would allow me to move from unit to unit within broadcasting, and I would still carry those benefits forward with me. So it's not rocket science. Absolutely you know, not. This is not, an, not a difficult thing to do. It's, it's just the companies having to be forced to pay enough to make that viable. Absolutely. It's, I mean, it's been an idea that's been floating around for so long. I think because our industry is so fragmented, you know, there's so many small cats in the industry. There's like small businesses, there's corporate restaurants, there's, you know, operations that run out of a home. There's just so much diversity of like business model that I feel like that can be the hurdle. But honestly, like, I don't see like, right in front of me any other way that we can like make this work for our workers like the 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 restaurant industry is not gonna wait not gonna go away the restaurant industry is just pivoting to different models and i i hear our workers consistently we've done research together about what you what a union structure would be like for the restaurant industry how that is the way that is the future of the restaurant industry if we want it to be viable for workers and Honestly, more and more every day, I'm like, how can we make this happen? Because um, we need the, to take the advantages care of our are, The advantages are tremendous because the benefits can be put into the union so that the uh, small business owners don't have to try to provide health care and such directly. They pay a percentage above wage into this pot 
and then the pot is what pays for the healthcare plan. And that healthcare healthcare plan is, uh, you know, run by a nonprofit organization, aka your union. So it's a it's a model from the 1930s that I think we we could actually like uh, adapt for the 2020s. Yeah, I think it's so wild that we're so against it when it's really like it's it's a win-win for all. <laughs> you know, it's a way that we are all as a community of different players in the industry can contribute to something that will ultimately benefit everyone <laughs> in in the in the sphere, you know. Um thank you also for sharing your experience cuz that that gives me a little bit of hope <laughs> about heading in that direction. Yeah, it, you know, it just seems it seems very obvious. So that's why I jumped out of the interview or rolled there for a moment. I hope everybody will forgive me for that. Let's talk, though, about going forward. Um, these next couple of months are going to be very, very challenging. Uh, we're moving into a new administration. What are your hopes that the Biden administration might be doing on the federal level could do fairly quickly to help uh, restaurant workers, documented and undocumented, uh, make it through the rest of the spring as we move on to getting full vaccination sometime in the late spring in the summer? One simple yet so complicated thing. Give us more aid. People need money in their pockets to pay for food, to pay for rent, um, extended moratoriums for rent. Um, we need you know, extended um, benefits for um, paid sick time or like a, a longer sunset time for the current policies that are in play, you know, both um, at the local level, but at the federal level as well. And for the restaurant industry, honestly, we need a bailout. I, I have to say it, it there. I know there's the Restaurants Act that's uh, working really hard to make that happen. And I know there's a ton of support um, at the national level and at the local level for that. But we need this to actually be taken seriously. Like our industry is rapidly, rapidly deteriorating. The restaurants are just closing left and right. I get I get a digest from from every restaurant that's closed in San Francisco and Oakland and Berkeley. And it's just heartbreaking. And other industries have gotten bailed out. Other industries that make more money than the restaurant industry or can bounce back faster than the restaurant industry. The profit margins for restaurant industry are so slim. Like, real, we need real aid, the PPP loans. I, I'm sorry, but so many people that weren't supposed to, shouldn't have gotten PPP loans have access to that. There needs to be something that's specifically for small businesses. The definition of small businesses needs to be revised. And the, the impetus to actually get this aid for small businesses needs to be there. Because it just really, I just don't feel that it was with the PPP program. And I know some amazing people benefited from it, but so many people that needed that aid didn't get access to it. And we just need all hands on deck with the government and local organizations and restaurants. And I know the restaurants and the workers are ready for the advocacy. They've been working really hard to to advocate for this, but the, I, we just don't see any movement from our government to actually take care of this 13, 14 million like person industry. That's what the ind restaurant industry is, you know? Well, Maria, thank you so much for uh, speaking with us today. And hopefully we can cycle back with you in the future and, and keep up with how, as part of our essential workers series and find out what's going on, say in the spring. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you for reaching out to, to our organization, the Restaurant Opportunity Center and um, for keeping us in mind. I feel like the restaurant industry has a little bit for, 
has been a little bit forgotten. So I really appreciate you um, shedding light on these issues. I'm Mel Baker filling in for Laura Wenis, who's on assignment. You've been listening to Civic. Civic is underwritten in part by the San Francisco Foundation, which has been acting as a catalyst for change to build strong communities, foster civic leadership, and promote philanthropy in the San Francisco Bay Area since 1948. More at sff.org. You're listening to KSFP LP, San Francisco 102.5 FM. The San Francisco Public Press is trying to raise $40,000 by the end of this year so we can continue producing independent local news online, on the air, and in print. You can find out more at ksfp.fm slash donate. Thanks to the generosity of the foundations supporting this year's news match, donations we receive through December will be matched dollar for dollar. For more than a decade, public press journalists have tackled investigative reporting on government corruption, the housing and homelessness crises, climate change, and other important issues. You can become a member today and double your impact during Newsmatch by going to ksfp.fm donate. Thank you. <laughs>